Greetings, everyone. Let's humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Almighty Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We consider your majesty and all you have done to create this world in this universe and all you have done to create us, give us life so that we might honor you and then also to give us your truth, your priceless truth, that we might bring it to the world to understand what you have done and why you have done it one day to resurrect and to bring all those who sincerely seek you into your kingdom, one day to rule under Yahshua the Messiah. We are so thankful, Almighty Yahweh, for these things. And we ask for your guidance today now as we look into your word, study your, your law, your teachings, study what the Savior did when he walked this earth and why he did it. And we pray, Almighty Yahweh, that many more will come to a knowledge of you, knowledge of the truth, that we might one day be found worthy to enter into your kingdom. This is our prayer and petition this day, and we ask your presence here, as always, as we open up your word. In Yasha's name, hallelujah. Hey, be seated. Welcome, everyone. Welcome our visitors, Darby and James, all the way from Jefferson City. I know it's a long haul up that hill, but glad to have you here. And also the many who are watching from afar, who are watching online. You know, our our online presence is just booming. I don't know if you're aware of it. I've seen the e-news we've been putting out, but it's just phenomenal. And many are coming to the knowledge of the truth. And so I thought today that uh, what might be good is to go back to a message I gave on Discover the Truth. It talks about the basics. People wonder who you are. What do you, what do you, what's your message? What's your thing? Well, I don't want to talk about that today. I'm talking about why we are here, why we study Yahweh's word, why we teach Yahweh's word the best we can, because... Frankly, there just isn't an awful lot out there. So, you know, the Savior issued a shocking and revealing statement in Matthew 7 that directly impacts what is right and what is wrong in today's nominal teachings. Matthew 7.13, he says, Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. So it's an easy way, it's an easy thing to go the wrong way. It's broad and it's easy. And many there be, he says, that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and that's an old English word meaning narrow. And narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Few. Not a lot of people are going to be on the right track. With all the millions of church-going Bible believers in this world, and although their their, uh, numbers are dwindling, sadly, why will only a few find the path? Why? The path to salvation. If it's as easy as we're told, just believe, have faith, maybe give the sinner's prayer and you've got it made, then there should be millions on the path to salvation. 
But why did Yasha say only a few? Only a few will understand. Why? By what standard will they be judged? And by what way will salvation be determined? You know, if, if salvation is that easy, just have faith. Peter's going to open up the door and everybody will be in it. Those pearly gates will be wide and there should be hundreds of millions saved. If it's that easy. Does it make any sense that an eternity of utopia awaits vast numbers of people with little or no investment, little or no participation in their faith, little or no involvement? Maybe Yasha was confused about this mission when he came to earth. Maybe he wasn't getting it. Did he not know of modern doctrines and how easy and effortlessly it is that the door to everlasting life would just be opened and everybody can come right on in? Or since he is the teacher, the authority, and the author of salvation and the judge of those who will be saved, maybe it's church teachings that are fouled up. You think that could be? Maybe they're teaching a different Bible. Or maybe not teaching the Bible at all. Hundreds of millions believe the same basic doctrines that took hold in the 4th century thanks to Emperor Constantine and have been taught these things for 1,700 years. Another question. If the typical New Testament teachings today are what was taught in practice at the beginning, if we can say, yeah, this is right, this is what they taught in the New Testament, then why don't they compare? Why don't they line up with New Testament teachings? Because when I read the Bible, when I read the New Testament, I'm not getting what's being taught today. Compare the two and you'll be blown away. Where is the Sabbath day that they not only taught but kept? Yahshua and his disciples. They didn't go to the church on Sunday. They went to the synagogue on Sabbath. They and the Gentiles were there too, even the Gentiles. So it wasn't just a thing for Jews. What about the feast days that they all kept? Why aren't they being taught today? I didn't know anything about feast days when I spent, I don't know how many, countless years in the denomination that my family came out of. I had no clue. I knew a lot about church days and, you know, uh, their ecclesiastical times that they honored. But I knew nothing about the feast days. So we have a serious problem here. 2,000 years of church doctrine have moved everything way off the mark. And it's time to get back on the mark. To see the problems I'm addressing, we go back to basics. Get back to the foundation. The foundation and its promises are rooted in the Old Testament. And that's something you're not going to hear today either. The promises given to Israel... Yahweh told Israel in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, Yahweh did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. Fewest in Hebrew is mahat, and it means smallest in number or least. Yet they were blessed when they obeyed, but they were also afflicted when they did not. Compared to their neighbors, Israel was a, a minor nation, uh, a comma. And Almighty Yahweh prefers to start out small and work to make it big, to make it great, to make it strong. Look at his name. Four letters in his name, the weakest. 
some of the weakest letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And yet, he made it the most exalted name in the universe. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Just a, just a small name, really. You think about it, four letters. And yet, it is that name. Through that name, he created this entire universe. I didn't know about that name either when I was in the churches. Never, never heard it. Never heard it. Yahweh chose the fewest among nations of the earth for favor and salvation, which is consistent with the message today. He's not looking for the vast numbers. The vast numbers are way off base. He's looking for people to return to the truth. A few people who would find it. So where does that leave millions who have always assumed that they were on the right track? That their worship was approved? That they have salvation locked up? Where are they? These same millions assume they are destined for heaven when they die. Two problems already. Going to heaven and getting there immediately without the judgment. How does that work? It's not in scripture. We find the number of saints in Revelation listed as 144,000 who will be sealed with his name. The name of the Father Yahweh. And by the way, that sealing will protect his people in the tribulation. When he sends his plagues on this earth. He'll protect his people who have his name sealed in their foreheads. Well, forget musty tradition, old encrusted doctrines. Put aside your assumption about the scriptures. How about some eye-opening insight into what the Bible really teaches? New and fresh and even revolutionary to most institutionalized students of the Bible. but rooted in the original teachings of the word. You know, these truths have been present from the very beginning of the word. It's like hidden in plain sight, (laughs) and they're ignored. Hidden in plain sight almost 6,000 years, only to be reserved to be brought again in the final days of man's 6,000-year rule. You know, our purpose as a restoration ministry is to bring back these things, these truths that have been lost for millennia or untaught for millennia, haven't really been lost. They're there in the word. People would just open up their minds and look at them. Important life-giving salvation truths. Our Savior, consider this. Our Savior was born a Hebrew of the tribe of Judah. Spent his life among the Hebrews, the Jews in Galilee, and a Jewish nation. And observed and taught Jewish laws of the Old Testament. And commanded his disciples and his followers not to go to the Gentiles first but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's the foundation of his teachings. That's that's the framework. That's the template from which he worked. Was it just because they lived in Galilee that he did this? Just because they happened to be there? You know, we had someone once tell us that, well, I don't think you need to have all that outreach. Just convert Callaway County. That's what you need to do not take the message to the world. My response is, if it's not us, who? Who? Who's going to do it? Should we just let the stones cry out, as Yahshua said in Luke 19.40? You know, the teachings of the Sacred Name movement go way back. They were reawakened in the 1930s. And I'm sure glad that men like Duggar and Dodd didn't just teach their neighborhood 
I'm sure glad they reached out with tracks and the message wherever they could find a willing ear. I'm glad they did that. They weren't satisfied with just a small outreach. We continue the same work. Today's messianic movement with its many conflicting doctrinal issues is just a newborn on the scene. They haven't been around since maybe 1970. As one brother said, we were, we're Hebrew roots before Hebrew roots was cool. And so the Bible is an Israelite book with an Israelite savior. That's undeniable. Don't let critics try to reinvent by ignoring such basic truths and detaching itself from its roots. You know, I would hope not, but is churchianity committing a spiritual felony? A violation so serious as to lead seekers away from the truth and not to the truth. We'll be accountable if that's what's happening. The truth has always been to the Jew first. To the Hebrews was given the root or source of truth. It started with a covenant Yahweh made with man. A man named Abraham. A covenant agreement. You do this and you'll be blessed. Don't do it and you've got problems. That covenant continues all the way down to today. Yeah, there's a new covenant, but the essentials are still there, and we'll talk about that. Now, if the Hebrews spurned the offer, the Greek or the Gentile could come in too, as Paul explained. He could come in their place among the called out. But you see, the covenant terms were still the same. Still the same. That's the central message of the New Testament. They didn't start all over with something new. You know, if a marriage contract is broken, the institution of marriage isn't abolished. It's just broken in that case. But that's how the church sees Yahweh's laws. They don't understand the new covenant, which is defined in Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8. Clear as a bell. Compatico. Those two passages work together. Read them sometime. Put them together. Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8. It'll tell what is going to take place with a new covenant that everything will be in the heart. In the heart. You put something in the heart, what does that mean? That means it becomes part of you and you live it. That's what it means. Pharisees had a problem with externals. You know, they'd sacrifice or do this and that or, you know, uh, tie the mint anise and come in and forget the weightier matters, Joshua said. It wasn't in the heart They were doing it out of rote. They were just doing it physically, but it wasn't impacting the heart. Paul's message to the Romans was, For I am not ashamed of the evangel of Messiah, for it is the power of Yahweh unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Everyone can have a part of salvation, he's saying. How could the Jew be given two different covenants. That's, that was always my question. An old one, which they had, you know, from the beginning, from Abraham, which is, by the way, called everlasting, and a new one that rescinded the first covenant and had totally different requirements, which is basically nothing, to produce an entirely different faith. Something is not adding up here. Not all Jews or Israelites accepted the evangel of Messiah. Not everyone did, of course. We know that. And so some branches were broken off to make room for others. 
outside Israel, but they can become a part of Israel. Romans eleven seventeen, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakes of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, the blessings are the same, see, for them and for the, the one grafted in. Promises are the same. By partaking of the root and fatness of the olive tree, Paul meant that the Gentiles can also receive the support and blessings, that the covenant, the agreement that Yahweh made could be theirs as well. He never said Yahweh planted a different tree that would receive blessings of salvation with a whole different root system and replace the Israelite tree. The only tree he gave was a promise or covenant to Israel, continuity. Continuity is the key to the Bible, continuity. Not cutting off. I remember one, one minister, I don't think he had a real Bible, but it was like a pretend Bible. He says, uh, he was reading something. Well, I don't agree with that. And he rips out the page and he goes along. I don't agree with that. And he rips out the page and he ended up with a Bible that's thick. That's kind of what they do. Not literally, but that's how they look at scripture. I don't agree with it. Get rid of it. Many people don't like Paul. They get rid of him. Don't like the Old Testament. Cut it out. Don't even talk about it. That's not Continuity. That's not Yahweh's way. He established a beginning that goes all the way through to man's existence here on earth. So to find salvation, you have to be tied to Israel, become a part of Israel. Thus we see that the covenant of salvation has Israelite roots because that's where the promise was made. The only people Yahweh ever made a covenant with, with Israel. You want a part of that? You just become a part of Israel. And I'm not saying you become part of the Jewish system, which is Yahshua railed against because they completely perverted everything. The, uh, the Jews of his day and the, uh, the leadership there, the rabbinical system he was against. But the promises he was for, and that's what he taught. Not Grecian or Roman roots. In the New Testament, In New Jerusalem, Yahweh is coming to establish his capital of the universe. Right at Jerusalem. Not Rome. Not Athens. Jerusalem. Why? Why Jerusalem? Is there a link there with the truth? Even the birth of Messiah was given first to Hebrew, the message to Hebrew shepherds. Why? The Savior was born at Bethlehem. A Hebrew word meaning house of bread. Why? into a Jewish family, into a community that spoke Hebrew, the language of the Bible. Why? The Hebrews had firsthand knowledge of the Bible and its prophecies dealing with the coming of Messiah. They would be the first to perceive that he was the exact fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy because they understood the Old Testament. Sadly, John reveals that Yahshua came into his own and his own didn't receive him, though. John 1.11. The rabbinical leadership, who should have acknowledged that Yahshua was, had fulfilled all these prophecies of the Old Testament, mostly rejected him as Messiah. Now, some didn't, of course, but most did. Most did. Think about all the Old Testament prophecies that Yahshua fulfilled. You know, the odds that all of them could apply to anyone else are mathematically impossible. Read Isaiah 53 and how he fulfilled every one of those things that prophesied this person would be the Messiah, how he would live, how he would die. It couldn't have happened 
any other way, to any other person but Yahshua. And how they can read that and not see that he is Yahshua the Messiah, it just boggles the mind. Instead of freeing them from the despised Roman government as they wanted, he spent his time showing the clerics that they had twisted scripture through added doctrines. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, he said, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, Mark 7, 7. That was his goal, teaching the word. Teaching the word, that's what he saw was important. The very people he came to say became his opponents. They wanted a political leader, not a truth teacher. They wanted to get rid of the hated Roman government, get them out of Israel. They hated them. They wanted to change the nation with politics rather than with faith. You know, the 12 disciples called out of Judaism were chosen to proclaim the truth that Yahweh brought, or Yahshua brought to the, to the earth. They, they continued on with the standard, teaching and admonishing. Same things that they taught was what Yahshua taught. And true to design, the first generation of leaders, the various churches were, were Jewish Hebrews, who became known as Jewish Christians. And when the Apostle Paul would write his epistles to to the Romans, to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, they were to Jewish converts of the Jewish Savior. And then they would take that message to the Gentiles, among them or outside of them. That's how it went. But what we hear today is that he was preaching to the Gentiles and the Jews were just kind of pushed out. That's not how it was. Paul established core assemblies with the Jew believer who lived in these different areas, Ephesus, all these other, even Rome. It's a truth hidden in plain sight that was never talked about. When I was growing up, And to be consistent, neither was the Seventh-day Sabbath or annual feast. All they could do to separate from the Hebraic roots of scriptures, they did, and embrace Greco-Roman features and ideas and philosophies. Eventually, the Jews died off and were replaced by Gentile Christians who brought with them the customs and ways of worship not found in the Bible, but inherited from all these other nations around that the empire was starting to absorb. Oh, you, you, you uh, keep this, this Ishtar, you keep this uh, Saturnalia, we can, we can do it too. We'll just baptize it. We'll just uh, bring in Xmas and we'll have an emphasis on the Savior, but you can have all the other stuff that goes along with it, tree worship and all that other stuff. We can do that too. So that's what happened. Also hidden in plain sight is that there were uh, no New Testament scriptures in the day of Matthew, the day of Mark, Luke, John or Paul, they didn't have the New Testament. There's another clue that should tell you where the truth comes from. When these apostles and writers of the New Testament talked about the scriptures, guess what scriptures they were talking about? The Old Testament. Only only ones they had. This important fact sheds a whole new light on New Testament teachings. It means that Paul writes, for example, when he went out and did his epistles and these letters were sent to different assemblies, and they shared them, and then they passed them on to other assemblies, and they used them, and pretty soon it became their scriptures. But when he was doing that, 
He writes, for example, that all scripture is given by inspiration of Yahweh and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What was he talking about? Talking about the Old Testament. Not about his own writings. (laughs) That'd be crazy. Talk about the entirety of the Old Testament. It also means that the New Testament teaches adherence to those scriptures as well. Another key that was lost down through the millennia. So what we see today is to throw out the Old Testament. In John 10.35, Yahshua the Messiah says, Scripture cannot be broken. You're not to be doing that, not to add to or take away from. Certainly not wholesale throwing out a whole collection of Scriptures and say it's not important, we're New Testament now. They don't understand what New Testament means. The New Testament shows how to apply the Old Testament precepts in the way that Yahshua showed us. No, you don't sacrifice animals. I'm your sacrifice, Yahshua said. You look to me as your sacrifice because I can't do more than just cover sin, like what animal blood can only do, but I can remove sin. I can take it away so you don't even have to worry about that anymore if you repent and turn from it. Scripture cannot be broken. They're one work and a vital complement to each other. Yasha showed how to live the truth, how to live it. He specifically said in Matthew 5, 17, think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And what do they tell you? He abolished the law and the prophets by his death. That's what they'll tell you. The law and the prophets is another way of saying the Old Testament. It encompassed Yahweh's laws and the prophetic writings and all those other things in the Old Testament. Now, they have no problem, many, with reading stories of the Old Testament, but when it comes to actually obeying what it says, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't want that. Furthermore, Paul wrote that the Old Testament saints spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit. How about that? Same as in the New Testament. I'm sorry, Peter said that. Second Peter 1.21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, But holy men of Elohim spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So you can't claim that the Spirit, you know, came at Pentecost and wasn't there back then. It was there back then. And it it gave these, these men, these writers, the ability to say the same thing, living many, many years apart, maybe decades apart, but they could write the same thing, the same truths, and not get messed up, like you find in a lot of the apocryphal writings, which contradict not only each other, but themselves. Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament. That's another truth that uh, uh, ties the two testaments together. Making the message inspired and necessary to be followed. Why would Yahweh inspire writers of the Old Testament if just going to throw the Old Testament out? It was man who made unauthorized changes, not Yahweh. It was institutionalized, politically motivated clerics in the New Testament who broke away from the Old Testament, saying the Old Testament is unnecessary and the law is done away. And it was man who introduced teachings into the New Testament that are foreign to the scriptures as a whole. When you restore the original teachings, you've got to throw out the false teachings. You've got to get rid of them. You know, when people come to the truth, we often say, you know, you've got to get rid of the old baggage. You've got to almost like, Start from scratch because your mind's going to be so confused with, with what you've been indoctrinated with all, probably all your life. 
to come to the knowledge of the truth. I remember a man in his 70s said, I sure wish I knew this back when I was 20 years old. I'd be so much farther ahead in my knowledge if I had that back then. I said, well, just be glad you found it. You know, like Yasha said, no matter when you come to the truth, the important thing is you came to the truth. You'll be blessed by it. When you restore the original teachings, you've got to toss out false teachings. They don't fit the continuity, let alone the scriptures, the associated scriptures. They don't fit. They don't work. They're contrary to. You know, besides what Paul wrote in, uh, to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of Yahweh and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He says that the man of Yahweh may be perfect through scripture. Old Testament, New Testament. It goes together. By the time the Council of Nicaea was called in 325, worldly custom, teachings, and man-made ways and philosophies overwhelmed the body of believers, which would become known as the church. Look up that word sometime. Find out the origins of church. Kirke goes back to a false deity, but that's another subject. Foundational teachings based on in the Old Testament and taught by the Savior and his disciples were changing. All sorts of changing in the first 300 years. He called all sorts of church councils, 20-some church councils, to hammer out teachings that weren't in the Bible because all they had to do was look in the Bible to find out, but they had to manufacture their own, so they had to have everybody's input. And they voted, believe it or not. They voted on these different teachings. Sunday worship, they voted. All these bishops came together. They held a vote. Okay, that's what the majority says. That's going to be our doctrine. Just look in the Bible. You know, just <laughs> I don't get it. But anyway, when man goes his own way, he goes his own way, I'll tell you. Foundational teachings based in the Old Testament, taught by the Savior and his apostles, were changing. Seventh-day Sabbath. Worship of the reborn son at the winter solstice in December was combined with the Savior's birthday celebration. It resulted in the hybrid holiday called Christmas. And from that point on, the New Testament body started to break from its Hebraic roots. They didn't want to talk about that part. They didn't want to talk about Israel. See, because that would show that their doctrines were wrong because it's not what it's taught in the scriptures in the Old Testament and what Yahshua taught in the New Testament. He didn't bring anything new. He said, I'm teaching the same thing my father taught me to tell you. I'm not bringing a new message. As we said before, why would he spend 33 years, three and a half years of preaching on this earth only to say, okay, now when I'm gone, forget everything I just taught you because it's all going to be abolished. We're going to throw it all out. Start with the church. Why didn't he say that? What a waste of time. What a waste of hope. The people that put their hope in him, and yet he was going to throw it all out? Ask your, ma- your, your pastor that question sometime. Have him explain it to you. I mean in detail. Don't let him try to wiggle out of it. Bring him back to the question. Well, The transformed church accepted foreign customs and observances untaught in the scriptures. 
They call it syncretism. You bring it together, together, embracing foreign beliefs, unauthorized teachings to become part of your new religion. Church worship began to take on the characteristics of mystery worship, from which much of it came. Read the two Babylons, Hislop. I had a lady one time say, you know, I read, I read the two Babylons, and I couldn't find any reference that he, that he quotes in there. He quotes a lot, too. It's very well uh, documented. We just ordered a book. I think my son Ryan ordered the book that he quotes. And there it is. There it is. It's an old book that they had to reproduce. And, you know, some of the pages were kind of beat up, but there you can read it. These books back in the 1800s that talk about the truth. There it is. Sunday worship comes from outside the foundation of the Old Testament. It's built on a non-existent authorization of the church. So is the Trinity and its co-equal heavenly beings. They claim it's a mystery. See, they wanted to be like polytheist people. They wanted to have multi-mighty ones. So here comes this doctrine of the Trinity. And if you go into the Catholic Encyclopedia, look it up downstairs if you want to, they say, well, you know, it's a tough doctrine, basically, and it's a mystery. We can't really understand it. I don't know of anything in the Bible that I really have a hard time, any major teaching in the Bible that I can't understand. If I can't understand it, it must not be of the Bible because Yahweh doesn't give a truth just so that we can't understand it. No, we can't understand it because it's contrived. Are we saying that Judaism then holds all the answers to all the keys? No. Rabbinical Judaism began with the Pharisees as smothered also in their own man-made teachings. So you've got to be able to separate them out. There's a lot of things that they teach that just don't square with Scripture. So here we are in the middle, kind of like the no man's land or something, where you're, you're balancing between churchianity, Judaism, and trying to find the truth. And that's what we've been doing. We're sifting from both sides to try to get at what they were teaching in the New Testament. The greater body of the Jews continued their worship with animal sacrifices and offerings at the temple. Circumcision rigidly followed. You know, until Yahweh says, okay, enough of this. The temple was destroyed by Titus. Everything was destroyed, burned up, nothing left. There's no way they could offer sacrifices anymore. So animal sacrifices have been out in abeyance for, what, since the year 70 when the temple was destroyed. Only a relatively small number of of Jews became true converts to Yahshua. In general, the greater body of Jews continued what they've always been done, always did. And they went from Pharisaical Judaism, and now we go by what the rabbis teach us. That's basically how it happened. Interestingly, fewer than 40 years after the implementation of Yahshua, implementation, impalement of Yahshua, the temple was destroyed, and then the priesthood could no longer function. Worship was transmitted in a different way, not by Moses. Animal sacrifices and offerings at the temple ceased, and they ultimately would be driven from the Holy Land. And then they went into Babylon, and boy, oh boy, did things get messed up then. Babylon, the teachings of of these thoroughly pagan people, and they were in there for hundreds of years. 
For some 1,900 years, there's no place on earth, no nation as a whole, that gave witness to the greatness of Yahweh by keeping the Sabbath, which he says is a sign to his people. The Sabbath is a sign. You know, when people say I, they come to understand some of the Bible and say, I came to the Sabbath. You know what? That identifies you as somebody being called because that's the sign that Yahweh says are his people. So you go on from there and you, you, you walk in all the truth, all the light you've been given. But that's often how it starts. It starts with the Sabbath. And then, well, as it did in the 1930s, well, we keep the Sabbath. Aren't there other Sabbaths? Yes, there are. There's the feast days. There are high Sabbaths in those feast days. Well, maybe we should start keeping them too. Yes, that's true. Because they did throughout the scriptures. So start keeping them too. Then you go from it to another, to another truth. Yahweh has now brought back to the land of Israel a people who acknowledge him as their Elohim, establishing Israel as a nation, was necessary in the preparation for Yahshua's return. That doesn't mean they're all... On the up and up. We've been there a couple times. And uh, I don't think you're going to find it as you might think. Because there, a, lot of, a lot of them there are just as worldly as <laughs> we are in this country. But Yahweh always had a soft spot in his heart for those he made a covenant with. And one day they'll learn and they'll understand. Zechariah talks about that. We'll realize that we had done this to the Messiah just as they did in Acts 2, and want to return to the truth. It's fitting that Yahweh will have a people prepared to receive him when he comes again. He's going to return to the land of Israel where Hebrew is spoken. Zechariah 14.4, his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. Been on the Mount of Olives, you know that it's covered, filled with graves, just filled with graves. And I notice as I'm walking around in them, and I notice these little pebbles. Some of them had little pebbles all over them. What's that? And uh, they said, well, when anyone visits a, a grave of somebody they know or a loved one, they put a pebble there. And they just, so I thought that was kind of fascinating. But the whole hill is filled with graves. Mount of Olives. Yahshua's going to transform all of that. The people will be raised from the grave. And Yahshua's going to transform that whole area. And his truth is going to go out from there to all the world. His feet are actually going to stand right there on the Mount of Olives. There will be a return to the teachings of the Bible, ultimately to the place where it all began. For now, a remnant is prophesied in the Old Testament to return to pure worship before Yahshua comes. And that's what I want to emphasize today. What are we doing here? What do we tell people? What what is our message? Malachi 4, verse 5, is a prophecy about this time. Behold, I will send you Eliah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. What does he mean? What is he talking about? Taylor says his preaching will bring fathers and children together again to be of one mind and heart, for they will know 
that if they do not repent, they will come, I will come and utterly destroy the land. No, repent. Deuteronomy 28, 15 says, Curses come when you don't listen to Yahweh, when you don't observe what he teaches, his commands and statutes. And that's what happened repeatedly with Israel. They left him. They went on their own, their own uh, teachings, their own ways, their own wants. And so Jerusalem was attacked 18 times, overcome, completely destroyed a few times, because they wouldn't listen. Though the Jews of that time did not fully accept the message of John the Baptist, a small remnant did, just as a small remnant is hearing the word today, hearing the teachings. When I read that, I'd say he's returning the children, which I think is us, to the fathers, which I think of as the patriarchs who wrote the Old Testament. Returning them to the fathers. And the fathers' teachings then brought to the children. That's how I read that. There's a message for you. Malachi talks of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh, which has not yet occurred. We know it as the great tribulation that Yahshua mentions and others prophesied in the New Testament. It's going to be a difficult time when Yahweh smites the earth with a curse, And that time is, of course, still ahead of us. But again, there's protection in his name. He seals his people with his name. Acts 3.20 tells us Yahshua will not return until a restoration is preached. Who's doing that today? They're so busy with health, wealth, and prosperity, they have no time for a restoration message of going back to the original truths. They're too busy lining their pockets, I'm sorry to say, of a lot of these ministries. Or they have 15 minutes of message. Well, how are you going to do that in 15 minutes? They have no interest in a restoration message. Acts 15, 16 says that when Yasha comes, he will restore the tabernacle of David. Restore, there's that word, tabernacle of David. Pure worship's coming back. It was established under King David. Obedience will be the honored word, not the pariah word that it is today. What did Malachi mean by turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and vice versa? Yahshua said in 1711, and Yahshua answered and said unto them, Eliah truly shall come first and restore all things. Now, there will yet be a small group of people who will seek the original truths and ways. And they will desire to follow them. They will preach and teach the Eliah message. My El is Yah. To return to the fathers and what they believed. A small remnant is doing that work. Now, paving the way. We're telling the world that the Old Testament is not dead. It's the foundation that Yahweh's legislation is still in effect and will be the constitution of the coming kingdom. How could it ever be obliterated? And that we must now prepare for that in obedience. In Matthew 5.17, Yahshua said, he never changed that, so don't even toy with the idea. The true message, brethren, is not a social gospel that tells you to feel good about yourself, have everything, 
health, wealth, and prosperity by doing virtually nothing and covet all the materialism of this world. Have it all now. It's yours for, this, for the taking. The very promise Hasatan gave to Eve, remember? You can be a mighty one. Just fall down and worship me. You can be a mighty one. Wow. You can be like this Yahweh that talks to you. Just a small catch. You got to worship me. He did the same thing with Yahshua. Made it easy. Just fall down and worship me. See all these kingdoms out here? They're all yours. Just fall down and worship me. Easy. His own religion. It was easy. You can be happy through what the world offers. All baloney. All a backdoor way to fatten the preacher's own wallet, I'm sorry to say. The word says that Yasha must remain in the heavens until this restoration message is taught and accepted by the called out ones. Not going to be a great number, but there's going to be a special people called out. Who's going to believe it? And it's happening now until everyone he's called has an opportunity then. Like the harvester who has to work until he's gathered enough from his field to the storehouse. Yahweh is waiting until he has enough first fruits to process. Hopefully, that's us. Hopefully, if we're faithful until the end. Peter's teachings, uh, the teaching followed Pentecost was that the people should prepare to meet Yahshua, our coming judge. Get yourselves ready through repentance, immersion, and living a different life. We talked about that in the Bible study today. You've got to live a different life. You have a different focus. James tells us that. The natural ways of man aren't going to cut it. The drives, the interests, the obsessions of man has nothing to do with the kingdom. It's not about living the good life. It's to seek Yahweh first and the blessings will come. can't put the cart before the horse and covet the blessings before you even deserve them. In a, in a kind of a backward way to approach Yahweh. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Do that first. Repent and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out with the times of refreshing. Everything made new will come in the presence of Yahweh. He shall send Yahshua the Messiah, which was before preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which Elohim has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. It was all a plan put in place from the beginning. I often wonder how much Yahweh knew man would rebel and that he would have to send his son to redeem him and knew the whole scenario from the beginning, 6,000 years. Well, he is omniscient. He knows all. Certainly he He knew a lot, but he still gives us the opportunity to accept or reject. Each individual has the opportunity. He doesn't corral everybody and say, okay, that whole group, you're saved. No, he says everyone's going to be responsible for himself, for the life he lived, for the things he did in this life. You're going to be held responsible, and you're going to stand before the judge one way or the other. That's, to me, that is very uh, sobering to think about your whole life. All the different things, you know. It's all up here too, brethren, you know. You can't, once it's in there, 
it's there. And you gotta, you got to keep it pure. you got to keep the mind pure. Rooting out man-made traditions and teachings and coming to know the word. John the Baptist had to prepare Yahshua's first coming, Matthew 17. He would have been the Eliah to come, but it wasn't, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the, the people didn't accept him. Herod had him beheaded. If the Jews had accepted John and Yahshua, it would have been finished. But another Eliah is paving the way for his second coming. I have to believe that's the true message, the message that we're trying to get out there. Yahshua's return is dependent on the true repentance of a people and their turning with a pure heart and mind to Yahweh. The recovery and teaching of lost truth has to come first before the second coming of Yahshua. He's going to give everybody a chance. It says the message has to go out to all the ends of the earth before he comes back. You have the opportunity. And those that don't, well, future, have a future opportunity. We believe is in the second resurrection. That's another message, however. There's going to be a mini restitution of truth before the big restoration of truth that will encompass the entire world when Yahshua comes. Yahshua came to bring the world to awareness of salvation, the truth that it had forgotten, that it had gotten away from because of man's teachings, man's system that got everything messed up. I often wonder, why did Yahshua come then? Why didn't he come now? Well, the way I look at it, Truth was being perverted big time back then with the system, the rabbinical system, and with all the uh, influences that were coming out of the woodwork. And Yahshua had to set it straight and then say, okay, I'll put it in motion and it'll go till the end. You find the truth. You look in your word, see if what I'm saying is true or not true, and then follow it if it's true. Yahshua came to bring the world to awareness of salvation that it had forgotten. Then his people who follow his teachings continue with that and teach others with that. The same truths that the world has forgotten in our day and age. Same truths. But you know, there's no other denomination, church, or movement that is doing that today that I know of. Only those who honor his name. I've searched for half a century, brethren, for others who might teach this truth You think they're out there? Don't waste your time. To save you the trouble, it's not there. They're not there. You can bank on it. They all fail in key ways to preach the word. I'm not saying we have everything right, but I'm saying the fundamentals, the core is right. Because it's out of scripture, not something we came up with. Not some special revelation we got. It came out of scripture. He said, not only will the Savior return to Jerusalem and stand upon the Mount of Olives, but also a multitude of saints will be standing there on the Mount of Olives with him. And the remnant whom Yahweh shall call, Joel 2.31, not knowing and using his name, will have serious consequences one day. He says, pour out your wrath upon the heathen that have not known you and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon your name. Psalm 70, 79.6. It's not just pronouncing the name either. 
like some abracadabra incantation. By the way, ever looked up that word abracadabra? It's kind of mysterious. But some say, and this has holds some merit, it comes from the three Hebrew words, ab, ruach, and dabar. Abracadabra. Interesting. Father, spirit, and son. Can't say it's 100%, but <laughs> better than anything else I found when I did some research. In Revelation 3.8, we see the unbreakable bond connecting obedience to his word and professing of his name. You know, he says, they have kept my word and have not denied my name. There's a core truth. If they're not doing that, can't be sent by Yahweh. At the end of this age, saints are promised that Yahweh will bring his people through a cleansing period, a cleansing, a purifying to perfect them through whatever they have to go through to test them. We have little trials now. How many people fail at the little trials and just kind of give up? What happens when the big trials come? That's where we get few are going to find the truth because big trials are going to discourage a lot of people. You can't let that happen. No matter what, kind of like the, uh, the martyrs, you know, in the early Tyndale and some of these others burned to the stake, but they kept to their convictions. They kept to the word because that's all the marbles. If you fail in that, what's your life about anyway? Purify his people. And I'll bring the third part through the fire and we'll refine them as uh, silver is refined and we'll try them as gold is is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say Yahweh is my Elohim. Zechariah is an amazing book. Someday we need to go through it. And uh, either at the Bible study or in messages, but the prophecies are really amazing there. That's from chapter 13 and verse 9. Well, I hope this message has maybe opened your eyes a little bit. Maybe it's given you some some, uh, helps. Someone asks you certain questions. You know, what are you about? Why are you you keeping his name? Is it that important? Uh, The Sabbath, I thought that was changed. You know, it's not hard to find the historical truth about such things, such doctrines. You just have to take a little time. Very few people are willing to do that. Very few people are willing to look at the Bible anymore. They don't even bring it to church. When I was a kid, everybody, it seemed, had a Bible. Everybody brought it to church. Didn't really open it up. But they'll read the Psalms because the minister says, turn to Psalm, or my text for today is, and they'll look at one passage. But at least they brought their Bible in case something came up. Didn't always come up, but uh, they did. They, had, they knew that this is Yahweh's word, and it's part of worship, at least that much they knew. Today, anything goes. Even if they, well, look what's happening in Europe. Christianity is almost dead in England. Almost gone. Hopefully we'll have some visitors from that area in the next week or two. So look forward to that. You know, the word is going out, brethren. The word is going out. And it's time people woke up. It's time people realize the deception that's been going on for thousands of years is soon going to come to an end when Yahshua returns and straightens out this world. And they're going to be 
awed. They're going to be blown away that they could have been misled for so long. I don't blame the people. I blame the leadership because Yahshua did the same thing. He wasn't kind to the religious leaders of his day. He used words that I'm kind of surprised are in the Bible from Yahshua, but he did not mince words. Why did sepulchers, snakes, and all this he called them? Because that's what they were. And they knew that they were deceiving the people for their own benefit. So may each of us bring that truth to those we influence, our families, our friends, to show them, those that have a willingness to learn, help them to learn, brethren. May Yahweh bless you.